0: Welcome to episode 36 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 30th of April, 2018. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Evening. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Okay, well, we've got a lot to get through. We're going to get to Ubuntu 18.04 later, but first, some news. And let's start with Oracle being complete and utter bastards for a change. (laughs) Can you say that? You can say whatever you like. Come on. Cracking down on an iOS developer who... Uh, included JavaScript in the name of his application to try and game the App Store system, cracking down on him because you own the trademark to JavaScript. That is bastard behavior.
1: He was probably drinking coffee while he did it too because he's a monster. And smoking big cigars, yes.
0: But I didn't actually know about this. I suppose I should have really, but yeah, it turns out that Oracle owned the trademark to JavaScript as well as Java, which they acquired.
2: Hmm. It would be nice if this if this meant we couldn't use javascript for anything ever again. <laughs> uh yeah that would be the gnome
0: desktop fuck then wouldn't it.
1: What was it confine it to room 101 or what was it?
2: Oh th- yeah yeah. Does that go or does node go first?
1: Oh, yes, please. Don't (laughs) worry. I'm sure that'll happen soon enough, anyway. (laughs) Some disgruntled four
2: line plug-in writers. Can can we start calling it (laughs) node.javascript? Oh, yes, please.
0: Well, let's talk of it reverting back to LiveScript, which isn't a great name either, is it?
1: It's better than EximaScript or (laughs) ECMAScript, as they like to call it. Or (laughs) LiveScript. Terrible
0: name. But surely it can't change name at this point. It's far too mature.
3: Yeah, I I think the name's established now and uh, it's there to forever.
1: The problem is, though, if you can start sending a cease and desist at this point, surely there's the statute of limitations to a trademark. If you don't defend your trademark after a certain period, surely that trademark is not defendable anymore. That's what I don't understand how they're able to actually go along and do this at this late stage. We're getting
0: into serious eye anal territory here, aren't we? Uh, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. That would be my understanding of it, but not being a lawyer, I don't know. But yeah, it's it's just it's so random for them to attack this one developer. There's so much out there, so many examples of people using JavaScript in names and stuff and node.js and all the rest of it. So it just seems weird. Maybe it was just some bored person in, you know, bored intern or something in the Oracle
3: offices decided to send this letter. Well, my take on it was that this was a a pretty poor quality app. uh, And so perhaps they were just defending their good name and and didn't want this guy who, by his own admission, was gaming the way that uh, he was getting search results in in the app store um, to just sort of stop him from being a dick and, and limit the damage that he was doing to their good name.
1: Oracle's good name, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: maybe, maybe. But, um, right, well, that's enough Oracle bashing. Uh, So KDE Connect is one of the best things about the KDE suite of applications and the Plasma desktop and everything. But installing it on a non-Plasma desktop or a non-cute desktop at least, pulls in quite a lot of dependencies. And so I hadn't heard of this, but GS Connect, which is presumably Gnome Shell Connect, which is a clone of it, a fork of it.
1: Yeah, I'm not quite sure what you'd class it as, but um, yeah, it's a re-implementation of the protocol because it's a, obviously it's an open protocol um, and it's been re-implemented by a developer. And yeah, essentially you can have your... KDE Connect like experience with no
3: dependencies. You still need to install the KDE Connect app on your phone. Is that right? You do, yes. But that's a Android app anyway, so there would be no Qt like
1: dependencies there anyhow. So sure,
2: I may be wrong on this, but I think the KDE developers actually went to some lengths to remove as many dependencies as they could, so that people could do this once the popularity of KDE Connect grew so exponentially, and there were so many GNOME users wanting to use it as well. That's because they're Good guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, and more people using it, the, the better it will become. It is a great tool. I use it every day. Oh, that's fantastic. And I love, I love some of
1: the new features that have cropped up in it as well. Like the, the media tools are fantastic where you can control your audio player. Like yeah. whatever it happens to be. Like Amarok, for instance, for me is playing away. And even though that's a really old player, because it integrates into the standard uh, media framework. And given yeah. that it hasn't had many updates still, it still works. And I can control that from my phone. No problem. And so you've got to be sitting in the other room, no problem, playing away in it. It's fantastic.
2: Yeah. And I've my the batteries on my mouse have genuinely gone, and I've been unable to do anything on my machine. And then I've been able to use KD Connect to do something to uh, shut down my machine or do something useful with it, which is really good. Yeah, that mouse and keyboard
0: feature is brilliant, I think. That's, that's the best part of it. It's such a simple idea, but being able to just use your phone as a mouse and keyboard, it's sort of good for what I class as a semi-headless box where it, occasionally you want to do some desktop stuff on it, but generally it's kind of sitting there just on the network with no screen on. But then rather than having to hook a keyboard and mouse up to it, it would just be so much easier to be able to use KDE Connect. But I found that if you're running it on any other desktop, it kind of works, but just is a little bit ropey not 100%. So yeah. hopefully now with GS Connect, it's going to be – working a little bit better on other GTK desktops, but um,
3: I'll have to test this on XFCE soon. <laughs> have you uh, tried it out on your GNOME desktop, Will? I have not yet, but uh, yeah, watch this space. It's something that I would love to see in uh, in 1810, and, and I was reading about it today, and the, the ability for it to pause your music when you get a phone call coming in is incredibly useful. You know, I'm, I'm on the phone working from home on the phone uh, a lot of the day uh, and having that auto-pause feature is is going to be really useful. Yeah, it really works.
1: Yeah, and the biggest problem with a lot of modern phones is the vibrate function of them is so useless that I don't even know mine is ringing away in my pocket until I see a pop-up in the icon in the corner of my desktop that says the phone's ringing. I'm like, oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the best part is it's in F-Droid as well, isn't it? The uh, the Android is part of it. Yeah. Mm, excellent. Um, So there's more KDE bollocks in here. KDE Apps 18.04 then.
1: Go on, Graham.
2: You can do it. (laughs) (laughs) What's more more new and awesome KDE stuff? Well, these updates are always incremental from the KDE team, so there's never that much in terms of features to talk about. Um, Everything's been revised. There's new stuff in Dolphin and Ocular. And, uh, you know, I think from my perspective, the KDE desktop keeps going from strength to strength.
0: I'm actually inclined to agree with that. I think that... When uh, the Plasma 5 desktop came out, it was so much better than 4. And we've just seen this incremental improvement. Just every update that I've tried out has just got better and better and better. And if it wasn't for XFCE and, I'm afraid to say, Mate, it does come in a pretty close third, which is high praise from me, given that I used to bash KDE on a weekly basis. Everybody did the
2: dark days of being a kde user <laughs> yeah
0: but it's it really has gone from strength to strength hasn't it
2: i think so um the, the things that i really like about it um it's it, the configurability is obviously important but I, I i like the way it doesn't kind of impose a, a way to work um on you um so on your hardware configuration or how you like i i for example i use a tiling window manager script on KDE, which I really like. It splits my screen up to, into columns and I can move windows around. And I still get all the benefits of having KDE behind that. Um, and I, I I just don't know another desktop that can do it. So feeling what is new in these KDE
0: apps that stands out to you?
1: Um, some of the speed improvements in Dolphin have been pretty handy. Um, when you're shifting around a large quantity of small files, there was some people experience a fair bit of lag with that. So they haven't, they've improved that. I think they had a bit of code clean up in it Um, and they've done a lot of improvement to try and make the the look and feel a bit better, especially for things like terminal window, which surprisingly (laughs) enough is where I spend most of the time. So the scroll bar has blended in quite nicely there. But one of the cool things they've done is they've integrated uh, the, there's a service called hot new stuff which is a web service that ties into the KD Look and Feel website where you can get themes for various different components like uh, wallpapers, icons, and uh, color schemes, things like that. And you can also now get that tied in there as well. So you can get like, uh, you know, a lot of people would have different color schemes like the, what was the one that was really popular a long time ago? Solar, Solarized or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that was a pain in the arse to try and set that up because you have to try and get all the different background colors. And then you'd realize that you forgot one font and then you'd end up, you, you realize that you didn't see one set of text because it happened to be the same color as the other one. So you're making a big mess of things that way, whereas someone who's done all that work, you can now easily go and just grab that online. So that's, that's a great feature because all those things are already up there and just making
2: it easier to share that stuff around the place is really nice. It never really works for me, though, the hot new stuff things. If it, sometimes it'll download stuff. A lot of times it's a link to, like, kdlook.org. Sometimes it's out of date. Yeah, some of the searching on it isn't stunning. I always end up installing stuff manually. A great thing about console, which uh, you just mentioned, is that you can hide the scroll bar, which I really like. I don't know, of, um, so you can just get rid of it completely, and it only appears like when you're scrolling.
0: Uh, I, I like to see my scroll bars at all
1: times, just to know where I am. Uh, that, that lovely seventies feel that you go for in your desktops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. No, to be fair, it's nineties style. Let's uh, <laughs> let's not go overboard. Um, All right, well, uh, let's talk about Microsoft, shall we? Uh, Where do we start with this, the Azure Sphere OS thing? It's got a Linux kernel. It's all about IoT. Uh, It's not a Linux distro as such. It's kind of a direct competitor to what Canonical's trying to do with their IoT solution with Snaps and Ubuntu Core and everything. Which is a bit strange, given that Microsoft and Canonical have worked together quite closely over the last couple of years. I don't expect you to comment too much on that, Will. But (laughs) what do we think about this? Is this more embrace, extend and extinguish from uh, Microsoft? Or is it just them taking a pragmatic decision to use Linux because it's the best tool for the job?
2: No, I think it's really difficult to guess because, you know, Microsoft keeps its cards very close to its chest. I think the reality probably is a bit of everything. Um, The same reason why they've started, they started to get into open source and Linux, you know, quite a long time ago with all their contributions to the kernel. They can see people using Linux on their cloud and they can no doubt undoubtedly see linux being used in iot devices even when they've tried themselves to create uh, very small form factor versions of its os like on the raspberry pi so they'll be able to see how popular their versions are versus the linux versions and i, I do think it's probably a pragmatic step yeah interesting uh, richard Storman's response <laughs> was initially um, quite positive about the idea that Microsoft is going to and have stated that they're going to adhere to the terms of GPLv2, which, of course, they would have to. Um, but, of course, bringing about all the complexities about uh, Microsoft and, and its histor- historical kind of role within the open source movement and, of course, in its, its huge stack of patents and goodwill and .NET and all the rest of it, there's a long history here. Well, yeah, Microsoft makes
0: more, I think, from Android devices than most OEMs who don't make (laughs) any money at all because of their patents and everything. So they're not exactly friendly, or certainly that part of the company isn't. Failim, I've seen you being very skeptical and, dare I say, cynical about this.
1: Yeah, uh, me me and Popey always have um, constructive arguments about this in the uh, Telegram channel about (laughs) every now and again. Um, I'm somewhat sceptical, yes. I'm sceptical in the fact that I think people seem to be perhaps over-enthusiastically. What's the term? I'm, I'm trying to think of the word. I don't know. People aren't bending over backwards for them, but I feel they're maybe giving them a bit too free of a ride with how welcoming their being maybe i'm being harsh i don't know i mean maybe i'm wrong but um i don't really see them being as overly good or bad i think they're just being a company and the companies just make money so i don't yeah. think that's good for us but i don't know whether it could be it could be bad for us though i mean more people using your product is great but um you know you could very easily get swept up in it and They've got a large marketing team. They've got a large partner team. And that's where the dangerous side of Microsoft is because those partners don't care about embracing and hearting Linux as much as, you know, as the core Microsoft guys might heart Linux as much as they want. But the partner side of things is about being vicious and sharks and making money. And I don't think you're going to win those guys over like that.
2: But you said then that Linux is our product. And do you really think it is our product? I mean, isn't that the whole point of open source and free software licenses is that it isn't our product?
1: I think realistically it is, though. I mean, if you are a company that essentially survives entirely on free software, give or take a few services, you're very different to a company that survives on completely proprietary systems give or take a few open bits and pieces here and there that you throw out like if you compare the budgets of Microsoft and how they make their money and then the bits that they were to open source you know there's no way that there's any comparable difference between the two whereas if you were to compare the amount that say even ubuntu would give out as you know uh free software
2: Compared to the bits that they'd make,
1: you know, it's they're not they're not the same thing. You can't you can't equate them. Like,
2: I think Red Hat's a good example. Red Hat is a, a product of the advantages offered by open source and Linux. You know, it's not necessarily an altruistic organisation. It's there to capitalise on the advantages in developing software in open source and GNU Linux. Absolutely, but I, I mean, I wouldn't wholeheartedly say Red Hat
1: is innocent completely either. Like I think they are a company as much as anything else. Now they do an awful lot of good in the fact that they employ huge amounts of people and they give the vast majority of the important bits of the software out. Yeah, like System D. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. It's great. But but the fact of the matter is though, look at the amount of kernel developers they employ and look about all the other stuff. Like I don't personally like GNOME, but they invest an awful lot of money in it as well. Um so You can look at all these things, and some might say, yes, they are steering large chunks of the Linux ecosystem in directions that they want it to go by funding extra uh, development, but, you know, you do have to pay at the table if you want. You know,
2: that's kind of the way business works, and it is, at the end of the day, a business. Yeah. And maybe I'm just being devil's advocate in this, but I just think they're both. You know, I don't feel like we. It's important to not have ownership over the code. The whole point is that it's set free. You know, under the terms of GPLv3 or v2, in terms of the kernel, um, and you've just got to suck it when when people use it in ways that you aren't happy with. And in fact, I think I do think the end result is that it's it's we all we all get out of it, despite whatever Microsoft has done historically, what this means really is a vindication that GPLv2 and the kernel and the licensing model and the way that it's been developed and the, and distributed is too powerful a force that not even Microsoft can ignore it. And and I think that sends a strong message um, to the entire IT industry.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I would go along with that. Um, I don't, the only problem I'd have with it was the fact that It might not be as open as we want it to be because it doesn't look like any of the tools and any infrastructure around it is going to be that open. I mean, I think it's more of a, they're using it because it's a kernel that works for all of the developers that develop the um, low-level chips. And I think really those, they can't change the mind of those chip developers in China. And I think they had to work with those guys on a chip infrastructure that they would use, and yeah. they just kind of worked around it. I think, to be honest, it's almost like the black box that they had to work with themselves.
0: Well, yeah, and try an NT kernel on a single-core ARM device. Good luck, whereas <laughs> Linux is lean enough to do that. Yeah.
1: I feel funny, though, that if you were to look at any mobile phone and you were to hear of the chip that this is based on, would you buy that mobile phone? <laughs> Because it's a MediaTek chip. <laughs>
0: yeah, and MediaTek is historically not only crap with updates, but also they've been um, a little bit lax with the GPL compliance, haven't they?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting choice. But hey, maybe they'll fix MediaTek's GPL violations.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, and MediaTek is definitely the cheapest. That's why it's always on the cheap devices, isn't it? But um, can I return to this... Uh, Thing about Ubuntu and how Canonical are preparing for an IPO. Shotworth has been pretty open about that. And a huge part of that, or at least my understanding is that a huge part of it, was this IoT solution. And and what Canonical are offering vendors is more or less identical to what Microsoft have now come along and offered, which is the back end server side of it, the software on the actual devices themselves but most importantly, the update mechanism through snaps in the case of Ubuntu and Canonical. And Microsoft are offering 10 years of support for these IoT devices in terms of security updates. And it just seems to me like they've just read Canonical's uh, offer and just copied it wholesale and even based the thing on Linux. And you know what does that mean for Canonical's plans to IPO if Microsoft is gonna come and undercut them? in this way and if you are in charge of the budgets for it departments in a big company then are you going to go with microsoft the name you know or this relatively young upstart canonical
3: it, it just doesn't look good for canonical to me well I, I don't know i think that there's enough that the the market is big enough and that there are enough established linux uh, and rather ubuntu corners of that ecosystem to so still build a substantial business out of all of that so i don't know i think um i think that the bark the is big enough for everybody um and those people who would prefer to side with an ubuntu based system you know microsoft coming along with something similar is not going to change their minds and in fact it might even sway them in the opposite direction um but uh, yeah we'll have to wait and see i mean this thing as far as i know this thing doesn't exist yet i haven't seen it offered on any silicon is it is it out already
0: well at this stage it's just an announcement i think but it's got to be coming pretty soon and they've got to be inking these deals as we speak you would have thought but i think that's a reasonable point that um, people who care about open source and care about the history are going to be more likely to go with uh, canonical's offering but i don't know shuttleworth is a very ambitious man just look at everything he's done going to space and all the rest of it like i kind of get the feeling that he would love to break out of this open source bubble or whatever. But then again, you know, Microsoft choosing an open source core for this, the kernel, kind of proves that open source isn't a bubble anymore, is it? It's kind of mainstream IT business. So maybe there is a level playing field to be uh, played upon here.
3: Right, and and if Microsoft, depending on which version of the kernel that they're running, but if people are now making linux drivers that are compatible with a reasonably up-to-date kernel then those drivers should work on any other distro as well within reason so maybe actually it's going to enable more and more linux vendors to get in onto these chipsets um, where they previously couldn't have access because the drivers simply didn't exist oh, there's always a silver lining eh? it's got to be somewhere <laughs> i need a job <laughs>
0: Well, uh, let's end the news with a bit of good news, and that is that the German government have decided to go with a pretty major rollout of Nextcloud. So, uh, yeah, good luck, German government. Uh hope that goes well for you. So much better, us. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this has got to be good news, hasn't it, that they're rolling out 300,000 users. That That's a pretty good test of it, and it means that they're going to potentially spend public money improving Nextcloud and then we'll all benefit from it. So Mm. it is always good to see governments being sensible and going for open source solutions where it makes sense. And clearly this must make sense because they piloted it for two years uh, with 5,000 users and it must have gone well enough for them to now be rolling out this huge deployment. Um, And this is clearly to do with the GDPR stuff that's coming in next month. Uh, because they, they talk about one in a, a completely private cloud and not relying on third-party companies and all the rest of it. And open source to rescue yet again.
1: Yeah, as long as the uh, next Munich mayor comes in and says, oh, no, I really like Google Docs, and then that's the end of that. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, Google Docs is excellent, I must say, and Drive generally. Better than
0: bloody Dropbox, which I've been forced to use lately, which can just fuck off as far as I'm concerned.
1: <laughs> No, it's brilliant. And the, the best part is you are employing local developers and testing local IT teams and rolling out everywhere and everybody gets a share. It's the way it should be, not just big, giant corporations. Yeah, good to see. So on to a bit of admin then.
0: First of all, thank you to everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's much appreciated. And if you want to join them, you can go to slash support and there's uh, various ways to support us there. I've got a new idea for a Patreon perk, which I will not announce yet because I'm still working on it, but may well be in place before the next episode. So isn't that exciting? Uh, you can contact us, com slash contact. There's the email address, Telegram group, that sort of thing. Uh, and I've got a note in here, Camp call for papers. So OgCamp, which is coming up in August in Sheffield, I really should know the dates by now. It is the 18th and 19th of August. It is a weird mixture of on-conference where anyone can turn up and talk and a scheduled track on the main stage. And they want, I say they, I'm kind of somewhat involved, but uh, we want speakers for the main stage. And so there is a call for papers out. So if you go to cfp.ogcamp.org, and we'll link it in the show notes, if you've got an idea for a talk on the main stage, then do submit it and hopefully they can uh, get a full lineup for that. And yeah, come to our camp. I should plug that. Generally it's a good event. Um so of uh, the three of you who is coming to Sheffield in August?
2: I'm away unfortunately. Otherwise I would definitely have gone. Yeah, I can't make it.
3: I think I
1: might even be in work.
0: All right. So <laughs> looks like I'll be there alone maybe jesson can come if he's got used to being a dad by then i haven't spoken to him for a while i think he's been uh, a little bit tired and off the radar but uh, i think he's doing well hopefully he's probably crying <laughs> <laughs> probably he's probably crying at the lack of sleep i heard a very interesting podcast about how the lack of sleep is like really bad for you and being awake is basically low-level brain damage so uh yeah that's good for you failing isn't it
1: that's impossible <laughs>
0: <laughs> no i I'm do so out of it all the time Um, All right, so this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com, and they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK, and they sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 16.04 and 18.04. And you know, I always say they're a company who cares about Linux. Well, in the last few weeks, Mike from Entroware has been helping out with the Ubuntu release. First of all, with um, a bug that um, was related to the NVIDIA driver and he helped out with testing for that. And also he's been helping out with this metrics stuff as well, um, suggesting um, a a slight change to how um, they uh, collect the data. So they're a company who engages with the community. They do care about Linux. It's all they do. And they've got a huge range of laptops from fairly affordable stuff all the way up to huge workhorses that are ideal for basically anything if you just want something for a bit of light email and browsing all the way up to 3D art and video editing and machine learning. And almost everything's configurable as well in terms of CPU and RAM and storage. So you're bound to find something to suit your needs and your budget. And they also do some desktops and servers, so they've got all the bases covered there. And they ship to the United Kingdom, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then do mention us at checkout there's a little drop down there you can put in late night Linux and then they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Okay, so Ubuntu 18.04 LTS, something of which no doubt you are very proud, Will. Damn right. (laughs) So this is the first LTS of Ubuntu with the new GNOME desktop. And there's also all the flavors and the server and cloud stuff as well. But As you hear, Will, let's start with the desktop. Looking at it, it's not massively different from 1710, but I suppose that's quite a
3: good thing, isn't it? Right, that's the the whole point, is that we we do all the work uh, in 1710 so that we can spend the 1804 cycle uh, closing the bugs and putting the polish on top. But there have been a couple of changes, and the first one is the best
0: change that Ubuntu have ever made (laughs) as far as I'm concerned, and that is the minimal install option, which gives you a very lean installation with a web browser and some basic utilities and nothing else. Why has it taken, what, tw- 12 more, more
3: than 10 years to do this? So this feature came from uh, a meeting with a customer who explained to us that they were trying to deploy thousands of Ubuntu workstations. And each one of those, when they installed Ubuntu off the, the CD or the you know the USB stick, that they then had to go through and remove things like games because that just wasn't part of their their corporate setup yeah they could have written uh something to produce a custom version of ubuntu for themselves but what they were really interested in was a very straightforward install off the media and it's ready to go uh, and they came to us and asked you know is this a feature that you could help us to implement into 1804 and uh yeah of course we were very happy to to do that um maybe i'm wrong but i don't remember seeing many people on you know, Launchpad or, I don't know, the forums or whatever, sort of asking for this particular feature. I think it's just something that lots of people thought about, but nobody really ever put into words. Well, except Zubuntu, who have been offering a separate ISO for,
0: I think, uh, since the last LTS at least, which was pretty much exactly this.
3: Yeah, uh, and having it as a separate ISO is... Not really where we wanted to go. We wanted to to make this part of a single installer. So you don't have to know that you go and download this particular ISO for this image and you download that ISO for the other image. We wanted it to be part of the single. you, You go and download a single ISO for Ubuntu desktop and you've got all this stuff sort of baked in ready to use.
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense to me. I don't think you need to have a separate ISO, just that checkbox in the installer makes total sense to me. Hmm. Um, the, The other thing is the metrics collection, which caused a bit of a stink when it was announced. And it's fairly unobtrusive, I think. It's kind of quite well done. I mean, what's the
3: reaction been now it's actually come out? surprisingly okay well, i say surprisingly it there were a few people that that got a bit upset that it was you know it's kind of spyware and it got labeled as as uh, snooping and that kind of thing which was never our intention um we did try to explain exactly what it is that we were gathering up front um and in the development of the ubuntu report tool which has all been done on github it's all been in the open we yeah, uh, you know, the code's there to investigate and there was an example of the sort of data we were going to be sending back so we've been pretty public about what it was that we were gathering Uh, and then when we landed the first run wizard experience where it takes you through uh, explaining uh, what's in the report and then giving you the option to either send it or not send it i think that we dealt with that in a tasteful way and that people saw that it was possible for them to to opt out. They saw that the data in there wasn't some kind of snooping, um, you know, deeply intrusive um, gathering of all of their machine stats. And most people just sort of went, meh, so fine. It's uh, it's it's not so bad.
0: And it's very easy to opt out as well. You just tick the box and done, which yeah. is what I tried
3: testing, and it just worked absolutely fine. Good. Well, you know, now you can go back and test it and uh, send your stats in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will do. I'll be sure to do that. Um, so one thing that
0: I wanted to try was upgrading from 16.04 to 18.04 and I asked you about this privately, but it, you can't do that via the GUI yet. You can only do it via the command line and then you have to go via 17.10 to do it. Is that new that you have to wait till the one release?
3: No, it's always been that way. Um, there are usually a few bugs that make the release ultimately and if you're an LTS user, we don't want people upgrading into something which is not a hundred percent perfect uh we like we do our best to get all those bugs closed but until you get it in the hands of lots and lots of users you're not going to hit all of those edge cases um you know somebody's installed a particular package which hasn't migrated to the new version properly or they're on some esoteric hardware where they've got it configured in a very special way you know, we're not going to hit those use cases until it's in the hands of millions of people um, so the smart thing to do there is wait till we hit the uh, the point one release. It gives us a good few months to find these edge cases, fix these extra bugs, and then we can flip the switch and be as certain as we possibly can be that people upgrading LTS to LTS uh, are going to have a smooth experience and are not going to hit any of these weird bugs. Yeah, fair enough.
0: Well, okay, that's enough um, positive shit, I'm afraid, because <laughs> here is why I take a giant dump on your entire job. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a fair amount of time in the old Unity version in 1604. Um, And I've never been a fan of Unity. There's no point pretending otherwise. But I found that I could actually get stuff done. I was looking for a new hard drive because my hard drive started making clicking noises in my desktop, which is always fun. And then as soon as I bought another one and copied all my stuff to it, it stopped clicking. So now it's in my drawer (laughs) with a big question mark on it. But in doing a bit of research and stuff for that, I did get to grips with Unity and I found it all right, you know, not too bad. Obviously, I prefer XFCE. I would prefer to use Mate or even Plasma 5 before it, but I could potentially use it. Whereas having then tried out the GNOME version, you've done a pretty good job of getting it close, but GNOME is just so fucking horrendous that I just cannot use it. It's it's just unusable. All, everything about it just seems wrong to me. Now, Faelim and Graham, I presume you've had a quick look at this. Are you going to back me up here?
2: Um, I'm not sure I will, actually. I, I can't really, anyway. But um, I think Will's done a, Will and the team have done a fantastic job, and GNOME is GNOME.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. No, don't get me wrong. What you have done with your team, Will, it, you've polished a turd. <laughs> but a turd it still is, I'm afraid. Like, I, and yeah, GNOME is GNOME, but it just, it just makes no sense to me to use it. it when, when there are so many other options out there that are so solid... I just don't understand why GNOME is now the default on uh, all the major distros. Essentially,
2: but well, it's down to you, though, Joe. You you have to be the change. You know, you have to go and evangelize <laughs> those things that you want. You know, that's that you've got to enjoy the choice. Mm. So, uh, no surprise, I'm
1: not obviously going to be a fan of GNOME. But yeah, I think if I was going to use a GNOME, I definitely think this is the GNOME I'd use. And I think as a desktop, I wouldn't have a problem recommending this for people to use, but it doesn't work with my head, let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, if you'd never used Linux before and you were kind of uh, not entrenched like we all are, if it was someone who's coming, you know, fairly new to computing generally and you just wanted a nice solid operating system for them, then I suppose so. But th- then you've got all those other great flavors as well. And that's always... I mean, you used to talk about breakfast cereals on Linux. always great. <laughs> but but that,
2: that's because somebody wrote a really critical post about me, someone at O'Reilly, about something that I'd said. There was too much choice in Linux. Um, and this O'Reilly blog post actually pointed out that it wasn't a bad thing that there was too much cereal in the supermarket. That's why we kept bringing it up.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, right, okay. But it is a good analogy. And, you know, th- there is an Ubuntu flavor for everyone, as far as I can see. From, you know, down to low-resource stuff like Lubuntu all the way through Mate and the Ubuntu and all the rest of it up to the Gnome version. And that to me is the great strength. And it's, it's telling, I think, that if you look at the, the download page for 1804, the flavors are given equal prominence, uh, much like cloud and um, server and everything. You've got desktop, cloud, uh, server and flavors. And and that has always been the strength of Ubuntu to me, that if, like me, you just think that I'm a complete catastrophe, there's going to be a flavor there that is going to be solid. And from what I've tried out of all the flavors, they all are solid, aren't they? I mean, uh, have you managed to have a look at Kubuntu, either of you KDE guys? Yeah,
1: and actually really impressed with what they did there because a friend of the show, Michael Tunnel, Tunnel. <laughs> Tunnel. <laughs> I, Tunnel, sorry, Michael. Uh, he recommended some improvements to look and feel um, for the guys to help improve the, well, let's face it, not overly appealing looking default theme that KD comes with. And um, he gave them a few tips, pointers, and that's what they did. And when you start it up now, it actually looks an awful lot better. It's got a ironically enough, the exact same theme that I did where I used the dark toolbar along the top, but it's a uh, white uh, window frame. So you're you're not looking at a completely dark desktop, but you still have, you know, less brightness everywhere. It, you know, to be honest, it's actually not unlike the Ubuntu theme itself as well. Um, you know, you're taking a bit of the edge out of things and, you know, I think they've done a great job on that. And they're on 17.3. It's not as high as neon with some of the apps, but it's right up there. And I think it's a very stable and it's a very good desktop that they've got going on it. So they've done well with that. And it's nice to see that they've still kept kept up with things.
0: Is it enough to tempt you away from KDE Neon though?
1: I'm afraid it isn't. Uh, if it's not building edge KDE, I mm-hmm. just can't live with it. Mind you, Neon has got to go to 1804 eventually. So when that all blows up horribly and is in bits, maybe I'll have to come dragging my tail back. Well, I mentioned Unity being pretty usable and
0: solid. And Ubuntu Mate, what Winpress has done there, is pretty impressive with the Mutiny layout, which is very similar to Unity. And he's even got the hard and everything. He's done a fairly good job in 1710, and I think he's really nailed it in 1804. And it's, to be honest, what I would recommend to Unity refugees, because we'd heard that Unity 7 was going to carry on, but I haven't really heard any more about that. Will, have you heard any more? I was thinking that we were going to have an official flavour. I think that's one of my official predictions for the year, but it doesn't seem to be materialising.
3: Not for 1804. um, There is a team forming around that that has formed around that and they're working hard but they didn't really um, get you know formed themselves into an official team um, until well into the 1804 cycle uh, and so in order to become an official flavor you have to have that sort of pedigree behind you that says we've been contributing to this project for a long time we know what we're doing we know all of the ubuntu processes we know all of the ubuntu teams um, and so you know you can't just go from Uh, a a relatively new group of people to an official flavor in in a few months so i think we'll see that in the future uh once they've got their their feet under the table and uh, they're a bit more comfortable with the processes so it will be there um but for the time being it's still in the archive you can still install it um and it still works you know more or less exactly as it did hasn't it been moved to universe though yes it's in universe now um but yeah if this team that uh supporting it um want to get it back into main then that's an option i don't think it's likely to happen but it's fine it can live in universe it can be there quite happily it can be maintained it can be kept up to date um it just means that um that it's not going to be installed by default but if they want to become an official flavor then that's certainly a route open to them they just need to have that um that sort of pedigree of, of commitment behind them Because things being in-universe, I I learned with the VLC
0: situation, I don't know if you remember, I think it was uh, about six months ago, there were some vulnerabilities with VLC in terms of subtitles. And VLC was in-universe and it just didn't get patched until Quigley came along, Simon Quigley, that is, and and patched it. And so that would be my worry to set someone up with 1804 with the Unity desktop, Unity 7, that what if that, effort kind of grinds to a halt over the next, well, five years, potentially someone could be using it. Um, you know, that that would make me reluctant to do that. And I'd be more inclined to put them on Ubuntu Mate with Mutiny, which, okay, it's not quite exactly the same, but it's kind of close enough. And you know that there's enough momentum behind that project that you're going to get the full three years there, which is probably going to be enough. You're going to be into the next LTS by that point, And You should be able to upgrade them on the 0.1 release or whatever. So I I don't know. I'm just, I'd be reluctant to recommend Unity 7 until there's more of a presence there because you try Googling it and okay, my food might not be too hot, but I just couldn't find an official
3: website or anything. Well, the joy of it is that you don't need to because sixteen oh four is an LTS release and he's going to be supported for you know years to come. So stick on sixteen oh four. Give this team time to to get their stuff sorted out and get organised. Uh, by which time, you know, if they're they're ready to go by twenty oh four, they'll have proven themselves uh, a reliable team and a committed team, uh, and you'll be a bit more comfortable about recommending it to people. I suppose there's always hardware enablement in the uh, meantime. Um, all right. So,
0: in terms of um, cloud and server and everything, uh, Graham, that's what you write about every day. Yeah. Uh, is is there anything that has stood out to you for this release?
2: The stuff I work on is like um, doesn't get that much exposure in the kind of Linux community world that um, I often talk to. Which is, a, I mean, with the caveat, of course, that I am employed by Canonical. It's a real shame because the the Predominantly, those three things or four things are MAZ, which is um, basically a way of orchestrating bare metal servers. Um, Juju, which is like a, a command line orc- orchestration tool for deploying huge cloud-based applications to your cloud, whatever that might be. And Conjure Up, which is a way of basically deploying using using Juju and MAZ if it needs to to create Kubernetes clusters or OpenStack deployments. They... So Juju and Maz have targeted updates for 18.04, but haven't quite made it. I know the Maz team wanted to get release candidate one into 18.04 and they've not quite managed it. Um, neither of those have got major updates. Maz has like got a, a UI overhaul in the fact that it uses vanilla now, which is, I'm um, canonical Ubuntu's really clean, um, kind of CSS framework. You can see it working on Ubuntu.com and all of those related sites. And Maz has a web interface that um, has been moved over to that. Behind the scenes, there's loads of kind of performance improvements where what was taking 100 SQL um, statements is now just requiring five and, and and that kind of stuff. So it's difficult to, like, say it in a pithy way in a podcast what, what has been improved. But those, they, they really are strong Open source tools for working with the cloud and 2.4, both targeted with Juju and mouse, will make it into this LTS cycle. Um, and you know, I really hope that they they get more kind of visibility and more traction. That sounds a bit sales pitchy. but I, I really do feel it. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but one thing that's changed with the server image that is now a live image, so you can run it live almost like you can with the desktop and if you want to debug stuff or whatever you can just go to a different tty and just have a server running live which is pretty cool yeah yeah but the installer has changed as well instead of the old um, debian um, curses installer yeah. you've got this new kind of halfway house which i wanted to try out but The test machine that I wanted to try out on has got multiple partitions, including Windows and just various... It's my test machine, what can I say? And when it got to the disk selection, it didn't see any of the partitions and offered to just wipe the whole disk. And I was like, no thanks. And the only other machine that I've got that I can give the whole disk to is 32-bit only, and there's no 32-bit image, so I couldn't try it out. So I didn't get very far with it. And I don't. it just seems a little bit unwise to put a buggy new installer in an LTS to me uh uh, maybe I'm wrong and and maybe there's a simple way to get the the cursors installer but as someone who just wanted to give it a quick try out having heard great stuff about it on the Ubuntu podcast um they had an interview there which was really selling it to me and so I, I went home and tried it out straight away and I was just really disappointed with that I mean I think that you know, maybe 18.10 would have been the time to put that in rather than the LTS.
1: Ah, you see, that's the beauty of server stuff, though. Uh, no server person's going to be able to touch it for ages anyway. I probably won't see it for another 18 months. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a good point, actually, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's probably where the 18 point, um, 18.04.1 update makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully they'll have
0: fixed that bug. I should file a bug, really, but I'm just uh, too busy. So <laughs> lazy. Sorry about that. But yeah, overall, this is a pretty solid release for Ubuntu, I think, across the board with the flavors. And as much as I hate GNOME, it is a solid release. It is an improvement over 17.10, just bug fixes and stuff. And I think it was the right strategy to to go for that then. Oh, we didn't mention going back to Exorg from Wayland Again, an excellent decision, as far as I'm concerned, because Wayland is just not ready yet. I know that Fedora would adamantly disagree with that, but they don't have as many desktop users as ubuntu i don't know how much you had to do that decision will but uh it was certainly a good one as far as i'm concerned
3: yeah we discussed it with the team um we discussed it with mark as well he was very you know very interested in how it was going to work out uh so we made that call about halfway through um the 1804 cycle so probably about three or four months ago um uh yeah it was it was the most logical and most sensible thing to do presumably 1810 is going to go back to wayland then that's the plan today. Um, but we're in <laughs> Berlin at the moment to talk about this with, uh, with stakeholders and, and, you know, other interested parties. So yeah, I think we will. Uh, what I'd really like to see is back to Wayland for 1810 get all of the, the various bug fixes and things that we've been working on landed upstream, um, the high DPI fixes, we want to make some improvements to multi-monitor, um, wait for Pipewire to land, get that properly integrated into the desktop so we've got screen sharing and that kind of thing, uh, and then by 2004, be ready for Wayland uh, to hit the big time.
1: Should we do a, a good thing, bad thing from Will and a good thing, bad thing from Graham for the release seems you gave him a, a brutal kicking. Maybe we should allow him, <laughs> allow him get, win something back here.
0: Uh, yeah, go on then. So uh, w- what's the, the best thing about this release as far as you're concerned, Graham?
2: Honestly, I think um, the team's done a brilliant job of assimilating Unity um, in a really short time, and I think it works really well. And I think most people, if, if they're not that interested in whether it's Unity or GNOME, won't, no, won't notice. And Will, what's the thing you're most proud of then? Difficult to say.
3: There's, uh, there's so many sort of minor changes under under the hood that people won't see. Um, I think for me, I'd probably say it's the live patch integration into the, um, the first ROM wizard. This is a, a tool, fantastic tool for for developers to use and uh, it's been offered up free of charge. That's not just a sales pitch. You know, it's a genuinely useful tool um, and it's there front and center and easy to install. I have been quite
0: down on live patching generally in the past, so I'd better stay silent on
1: that. Yeah, no, you need to shut up because you don't have to do any telco work, so you have no skin in this game, so shut up. (laughs) Live patching for the win.
0: I know, but Jesus, on your desktop, if you can't afford to restart your desktop, like get a fucking SSD. It's only going to take 20 seconds.
1: Oh, you just wait till you're doing 24 and a half podcasts a day. You'll know what you'll, you'll <laughs> want your live patching too by then. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And I think big props has to go to uh, the, uh, the GNOME bug. I think that has to be said as well, because I think that was pretty cool because that clearly was not getting fixed. And I've seen a fair few blog posts about people who are saying that it didn't seem like that was going anywhere and seemed to have been reported quite a while ago. And it looked like, um, it, it, until you guys showed up, uh, it wasn't getting fixed. So yeah, I think that was pretty cool. Well, to be fair, that was until Jory blogged about it on
0: OMG Ubuntu, (laughs) that it got fixed and he actually drew some attention to it because that had been going on for quite a while. They they call it a memory leak. It's not quite a memory leak. It's just kind of mismanagement between C and um, JavaScript, I think.
1: No, no, don't say JavaScript. For the love of God, Oracle beyond be to us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, they're going to pull us down off YouTube and everything. Uh, yeah, fuck you, Oracle. Um, right, well, on that note then, uh, we better get out of here. So, yes, we'll be back in two weeks when hopefully there would have been a Fedora release. We'll mention that at least a little bit, so it won't be quite as Ubuntu heavy. Uh, so, yes, until then, I have been Joe.
1: I have been Phelan. I have been Ryan. Auf I have been Will. Auf Wiedersehen. Tschüss. Bye-bye.